You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. As you learn to think more deeply about who God is, because God is imminently lovable, the the greater understanding of who he is and how his world works will actually um, grow you in, in your love for him parents listening i just think man you if, if you're struggling with theology just jump in it's okay you don't you're not supposed to be perfect you're supposed to learn it so that you can hand it to the next generation and truly offer them hope that's in the gospel the thing that my kids and i will always share no matter who we vote for is who we worship and a clear understanding of who that is. And so this is why i think it's critical for us to think in terms of these historic categories Welcome to a special bonus preseason episode of the Family Discipleship Podcast. This is Adam Griffin. I'm here with my co-host, first Professor Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? I did. I went on sabbatical and got a doctorate. Oh. No, you don't need a doctorate to be a professor, do you? Yeah, well, maybe, yeah, or or in process, but you can get one online. I got a degree. We'll just say that. Yeah, I think... I, I've always status. wanted an I've always wanted an honorary doctorate. I feel like that's the best degree to get. You don't have to do the work. Easiest, yeah. Yes. Those I are a thing? Honor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chelsea, why haven't you ever given me an honorary doctorate? Also with us today <laughs> is Chelsea Griffin, my wife. How are you doing today, Chelsea? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm very proud of you for being a doctor. Uh, a fun thing I do when I book plane tickets is I always put Adam's <laughs> name as Dr. Adam Griffin because he is, and then maybe we'll get an upgrade, and then I would love to see him be called on in a medical emergency. <laughs> <laughs> like if there's a hijacking and the hijacker gets stabbed, they'd be like, is there a doctor? And be is like, oh, I saw one on the manifest, Adam Griffin. And then it's Chelsea delivering the baby on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we also have two incredible guests with us today. Some of our dearest podcasting friends, but also friends in real life. We have, guys, get this, Cassie and Chelsea, you guys may not know this, but Jen Wilkin and JT English are on with us today. No. Two thirds of the knowing faith and training the church mothership, uh, Jen and JT. How you doing today? Doing great. Yeah, we're great. Thanks so much for having us. I mean, this feels like it, it's the it's like the prime podcast of training the church. Thanks for finally Aww. having <laughs> us. On. We do miss Kyle a little bit, but not that much, to be honest. No, He's, not that yeah. much. Speaking of missing people, JT, you were in Dallas while I was out. You came was, to Northway. Yeah. I came to your office to say hi to you. I didn't know you were on sabbatical, and it was dark. It was a dark office. And I was like, oh, did man, you, man, I missed Did you leave that. any uh, snakes or any jump scares in her office while you were Is there? The That's Barbie kind of your thing, right? From you? Have oh, you I have a big Barbie balloon. <laughs> have you found the snake yet? Oh, my no. gosh. Don't. Okay. No, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, please. Well, we bore, before we jump into the conversation, uh, maybe each of you could tell us just a little bit about your family and your ministry. I know we've had you both on before, but Jen, can you tell us just a little bit about your ministry and a little bit about your family? Yeah, uh, my kids are big now. They are 27, 26, 25, 25, and 23. Is that Woo. right? Yep, that's right. And um, my husband and I, Jeff, we've been married for 30 years this past summer. And I teach the Bible and write things and podcast and um, have been on staff at my church for about 12 years. Wow. 
That's awesome. JT, how about you, buddy? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I got little kids. I got eight and six, Thomas and Bailey. And man, that is the most exciting thing about Macy and I's life right now. We're just having a great time raising them. We actually have one more week of summer as of the recording right now. So uh, part of me is like, please go back to school. The other part of me is like, one more week of summer. Let's enjoy it. Uh, And I'm married to my best friend, Macy. She's awesome. She runs a a kind of a communications uh, consulting company. And I pastor a church here in Colorado, Storyline Church, and been here just over three years. We're loving it. And it is cooler uh, than where you guys are right now. It's about 72 (laughs) degrees. So let me know if you guys need some free air conditioning called air. Yeah. <laughs> it's 72 where I'm at too. I'm just uh, yeah. in the shade yeah. of my home. But yeah. Okay. So you guys, we have you on here because you did something I cannot imagine doing, which is writing a book together. So I can imagine writing a book, but writing it with somebody feels very uniquely challenging. Talk to us about, uh, you are a theo- theologian, which is the title of your book. And then how that process went of writing that together. It only took three years, uh, so the process was super easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a project that, you know, I think for Jen and I, it was a project before it was a book. I mean, something yeah. that we care so deeply yeah. about is the theological formation of people, and mm-hmm. it was something that's part of both of our stories. We were looking for theological formation and wanted to grow in our understanding of the Bible and who God is, and we had a hard time finding resources. You know, I, I headed off to seminary, and Jen found some R.C. Sproul tapes and some uh, some systematic <laughs> theologies, which we're, we're both so thankful for those things, but we realized, man, we'd love for there to be a more accessible introduction to the mm-hmm. Christian faith that we could talk about in the context of our families, relationships, uh, marriages, home groups, uh, churches. And so that's really kind of what this book was. And I think, I don't want to speak for Jen here, but the, the book is also like, not only are you a theologian, Jen and I got to be theologians while we wrote it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like there was a script out there for us that we were just kind of copy and pasting. It was like, I would I would get in the Google Doc and write something. And then yeah. 30 minutes later, she would text me and be like, are you sure you want to say it that way? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? How do you say it? You know? And so we were doing, we were doing theology together as we wrote awesome. it, which was probably the most fun part of the project is I learned from Jen. I, I don't want to overspeak, but I think she learned from me as we just yeah. did theology together, which is the way that it was meant. It's always meant to be done. I love that. Well, and I think it would be, it would be easy to say like, oh, you should only write this book if you've got it all nailed down perfectly. But we figured between the two of us, we could, we could make it happen. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what we saw, right, JT? And I would say oh, like yeah. there, I would send him chapter drafts and be like, if I'm a heretic, I need you to tell me right now. <laughs> uh, and, and then he would send me ones and say, add illustrations or whatever it was. I mean, so it kind of, it ended up being, you know, we got to play to each other's strengths, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the way I thought the collaboration would happen um, was different than the way it ended up happening. But the way that it did happen is exactly the way that it should have. Mm, and I would, I would agree with JT that it was like, for one thing, it, it increased my appreciation for him um, and, and how he talks about things. And, and then as another, uh, it, it, I think it made us better friends on the other side Aww. of it. Yeah. I love it. Y'all have always been a good team. And uh, I'm really excited for the preteen workbook to come out so that my daughters could, I don't know, right? Y'all are going to like do a next gen resource. Or have you seen what is happening? JT, have you seen what's happening on Amazon and what's with AI now? No, we like have the, no fewer like fake than 16 fake workbooks yeah. associated with the book. So I'm sure what? your preteen workbook can be generated by someone who's not JT and me. Yeah, oh, wow. are you listening? Terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that is terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, JT, in the introduction of the book, it says, we have historically not done great at transferring our faith from one generation to the next. 
Why is this happening? What's the root of the problem from your perspective? I think there's probably two parts. One is, I think, kind of more historical and one is contemporary. One is we've we've really relegated what we thought theology was to more academic disciplines. You know, universities and Bible colleges and seminaries and right. for people who have professional ministry roles like pastors or women's ministers or directors even. So, so we've kind of said those people who are going to do this professionally are going to earn degrees and they're going to have to go somewhere to, to, to learn this material. We've created really a... Uh, uh, kind of um, amateur and uh, an academic divide, you might say. So, uh, and that's been unfortunate. But I also think in a contemporary sense, we're now even not even inviting kids, and I think this is important for this podcast, into the identity mm-hmm. of being theologians, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, one of my favorite things in my church or in my home is my kids asking the same mm-hmm. questions that we ask mm-hmm. in the book mm-hmm. and show, showing even a six or an eight or a four or 14-year-old, you, you're you meant to ask these questions of mm-hmm. who is God? That's good. What is he like? And who am I? And wait, wait a second, why why is my relationship at school not going well? Well, it's because the world's broken. And so they're asking, like, those are theological questions. Those aren't mm-hmm. sociological questions only or relational questions. They ultimately have their root in theology. So we wanted to help. And this is a resource that we tried to write at like an eighth grade reading level so that parents could even read it with their high school, middle school kids and help them begin to develop categories mm-hmm. early in life and kind of get handles early in life about what is true about themselves, the world, and God. That's awesome. Also in the introduction, you guys make an important distinction between converts and disciples. Jen, can you kind of speak about that distinction and why that's important? Yeah, we're riffing on a Dallas Willard quote where he says that the mission of the church is not to make converts and let discipleship happen. It's to make disciples and let converts happen. And I think this is an incredibly important concept for parents because so often Mm -hmm. I understand Christian parents to see their primary goal is to make converts. And you're actually called to disciple. Uh, And of course, the, the, the... If you want to make a convert, then you start by talking about sin. Uh, If you want to make a disciple, then you start by talking about God. And Mm. then you talk about who people are that are made in His image. And then you do get to the question of sin. Um, But I would even argue that in a lot of churches, one of the the things that we have derailed on in children's ministry settings Mm -hmm. is to start by talking to children about sin before we tell them who God is and who they are as those who bear His image. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that this book is a help even to parents who are trying to find their bearings on how to order their thinking uh, in theology. Uh, We should be able to ask the hard questions but we should understand that the hard questions work best when asked in a particular order. And so when you think about making a disciple of your child, it means that you train them into what is true and good about God, what is true about them. You educate them into a Christian worldview um, without pushing them toward becoming a Christian. You show them what is beautiful uh, and you show them that you believe it to be beautiful in the way that you live your life. Um, And so, and, and we cannot transmit to our children what we ourselves don't know. So the significance of understanding um, the historic beliefs of the Christian faith is huge in the life Mm -hmm. of a parent Um, and understanding that you cannot convert your child. I'm sure you guys have talked about this a ton on this show. Um, What you can do is point them toward what's true and beautiful. That's right. That's good. Thank you for that. Already making me cry. (laughs) Get your tissues. I know. Okay, uh, Jen, you talk about something interesting about an assumption that all contact with the Bible is good contact. Mm -hmm. And you say that this is a flawed premise. Can you explain that a little more to everybody? Yeah. So, you know, I've talked about this for years and we dropped it into this book as well because it's so important in the way that we are training uh, our kids 
certainly in the context of, of this space, but in the church, the way that we have trained people to think about the Bible. Um, if we view the Bible as something that um, opens itself up to us simply because we've been obedient to open it up, um, then we've misunderstood fundamentally, first, what a book is, but second, the way that the Holy Spirit uh, communicates truth to us. Um, and sadly, within Christian subculture, a lot of the ways that we have been trained to encounter the scriptures are actually in many cases, hurting our understanding instead of helping it. Um, We've been trained to read the Bible as a book that is first and foremost about us, or we've been trained to read the Bible as a magic eight ball that we shake when we need to answer an important question. Uh, And so we have a very pragmatic approach to the scriptures. It's something that solves problems for us instead of something that gives us a vision of God high and lifted up. Not only that, but um, we're so conditioned into a devotional approach to the scriptures that any different way of thinking about them is seen as being as being antithetical to our feelings. Um, you know that that uh, any any thought level interaction with the scriptures is robbing us of relationship instead of opening relationship to us in the way that it was intended to occur. Um, deep thinking should inform deep feeling. And that's one of the things that we hope to see come out of uh, the reading of this book is that as you learn to think more deeply about who God is, because God is imminently lovable, the the greater understanding of who he is and how his world works will actually um, grow you in, in your love for him. So that's, we say that all theology should lead to doxology, that it should lead mm-hmm. to praise, to affection for God. That's good. Come on. That was great, Jen. Thank you. JT, one of the things you wrote is that we cannot teach what we ourselves have never been taught. Help us apply this to parents who want to disciple their kids, but they have never been discipled themselves. Yeah. I, so my kids are going to a new classical school right now and they do math differently. Have you guys experienced this yet? Like it's, yes. I don't even know what it's called, but there's like class, like there's different ways of doing math. And like, it takes like this whole page now to do two plus two. And I'm like, I need a YouTube <laughs> video. Like I, I need help on learning how to, how to do this. And so I'm learning very quickly. I'm, math is not my expertise. I was a communications major in college for this very reason. Like, and I'm learning, I can't teach my son math that I don't know. So I find myself on YouTube quite a bit trying to figure out now how do I do long division again because I don't know how to do long division and so I've realized man I I need to regain this knowledge if I'm going to be helpful with Thomas and Bailey and their homework and I think the same thing's true with theology is is I can't hand down the attributes of God to my kids in life situations not like in a in a systematic theology class but like uh, my, my grandfather died uh, a couple weeks ago and we were at the funeral and Thomas and Bailey were right there at the graveside listening to my 94-year-old grandma tap his casket and say, well done, Bob, you did good. Wow. That is a theology moment right there mm-hmm. to talk about life, faithfulness, mm-hmm. the goodness of God, death and brokenness in the world. And if I didn't have categories for those kinds of things as mm-hmm. a Christian, as a pastor, as a dad, as a theologian, that's a moment that I could really misshape my kids, right? And mm-hmm. say, like the Bible says death is a bad thing, that we're not meant to celebrate it, that it's it's the it's the enemy that has ca- been cast over the whole world, but there's resurrection coming, 1 Corinthians 15, and one day we're going to mock death and dance around our graves saying, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? So I have a moment right mm-hmm. there. 
at my grand, their great grandfather's casket and say, there's going to come a day when Jesus returns and he's going to raise the dead. And that includes Bapa right here. And we're going to get to celebrate with him that Jesus has overcome Satan, sin, and death. And if I, if I hadn't been given, that's not unique to me. That's Bible. That's theology. That's Paul. That's the entirety of the Christian faith. And I, it's been handed to me. And I'm so thankful that it's been handed to me. And I don't have the chance to hand it to my kids. Had it not been handed to me, I could sit there and say, yeah, you know, death is a great thing and it's totally okay. And, you know, Papa mm-hmm. is going to be reincarnated as a tree or something crazy, like, you know, whatever we might say. And I have a real moment right there to, to, to misdirect and lie to my kids and offer a false hope. And one of the things we used to say in the training program at TVC was the worst thing that you want to hear at a funeral is heresy, right? Because it yeah. offers a false sense of hope. Mm-hmm. And the best thing that we can offer at a funeral is the gospel, the true hope yeah. that Jesus has overcome Satan, sin, and death. And so parents listening, I just think, man, you, if, if you're struggling with theology, just jump in. It's okay. You don't, you're not supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to learn it so that you can hand it to the next generation and truly offer them hope that's in the gospel. Hey friends, it's March. And that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. I think as a parent, what can feel intimidating is that you're going to get it wrong. You know, and I mean, even in your book, you talk about how your question is not whether we are theologians, but whether we are good ones or bad ones. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to make sure we're not a bad theologian, how do we know? Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully... 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 I already told him I was sending you drafts and asking if I was a heretic. So yeah. uh, but thankfully, we have 2,000 years of witness um, mm-hmm. to help answer that question. And um, that's what this book will introduce people to is historic categories, you know, that have been agreed upon for, for 2,000 years. And I do think that, you know, we live in such an individualized day and age that we forget uh, that Christianity pushes against that at every turn. And part of the ways that it, that it pushes against that is by this rich deposit that we have of other believers who have thought hard about the scriptures, who have um, battled for shared truth and said, no, this is a first order issue. This is a second order issue. And, you know, sadly, what we see so often in the church today is people who have well-informed political ideas or ideologies, um, but are very fuzzy on first level issues of theology, which means that we can pretty much guarantee that uh, their theology probably is not connected to their ideology the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. Our kids can tell the things that we care the most about. Mm-hmm. They can tell the things we've thought the most about. They can tell the things we spent the most time educating ourselves about. And um, if you look at the massive disconnect that is currently happening between my generation of parents and their children, you can know that the children, even, even within the church, I would say maybe in particularly within the church, are seeing the distance between a parent's education on secondary or third level issues and their education on first level issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that my kids and I will always share no matter who we vote for is who we worship mm-hmm. and a clear understanding of who that is. Yeah. And so this is why I think it's critical for us to think in terms of these historic categories. I will say something that also when we get it wrong, it's okay to go back and, hey, kids, mm-hmm. um, I said this right. the other day at grandma's funeral or wherever, and um, mm-hmm. I was mistaken. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I really want yes, you to take away right. from that yes. moment. To it's say like, grandpa's not an angel. Grandpa's yeah. like, grandpa <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Really and good. so I think it's just, I think we get a, I don't know, or maybe we, in our own pride, don't want to, you know, admit that we made a mistake, but it's so much better. It'll go so, so much further with our kids to be like, okay, yeah, it's okay so to have to like go back and learn something and then rec- and correct your Well, and like a lot of times we panic, you know, when they ask the question and, you know, a key piece of advice that I like to give to young parents is when the kid asks the question and your heart starts to pound, your first response doesn't have to be an answer. It can be a question. You buy yourself some really important time to get your own thinking straight, but you can, then your next thing that you say can also be another question, you know, like draw them into dialogue. And, um, and that's really what we're, we're all wanting is to, is to have a back and forth with someone to be able to try out an idea and have someone help us shape it into the idea that it should be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've kind of touched on this already, uh, but we want to hear more about it. You, you wrote in the book, Jen, that you used to think the role of a Bible teacher was to build new teaching out of thin air, uh, but realized that it was actually uh, your role was to transmit old time-tested teachings to new ears. Um, talk to us about how a realization like that just really lifts the pressure off parents who are trying hard to disciple their kids. Yeah, I think we can get head down in the parenting game and forget that there is ample help for us. Um, yeah. my, my husband, Jeff, always talks about how so many parents live life as the first human. And they're mm-hmm. like, gosh, this is so hard. You know, and you're like, yeah. I'm sorry, what did you think it was going <laughs> to be like? Or, you know, I don't know how I'm going to survive the summer with my kids. And I'm like, well, I mean, 
people are not, you know, you're not threatened with famine or, or, you know, wild bears attacking (laughs) you. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're not the, yeah, it's not the Oregon Trail. Uh, And so I do think that we forget, and I say that lightheartedly because I do think there's so much comfort to realize, oh, actually, I'm having a pretty normative experience of what it is yeah. to, to be a parent and to be a Christian parent. And so yeah. if I were to, instead of strain my eyes forward into the unknown, if I were instead to turn my gaze over my shoulder and look behind me, I might find that there's a great cloud of witnesses who's testifying mm-hmm. to the faithfulness of God to Amen. all generations. Yeah. And those are the things that we're to pass on to our children. One generation will tell the next, you know, of, of the glorious deeds of the Lord. Um, and some of us are more intuitively good at that out of the gate than others. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all of us can't dispense of that responsibility with our children uh, in a way that we can stand before the Lord and give an account for. So that I would say, yeah. you know, writing this book, I kept thinking, you know, JT was saying, this is the book that I wish that I had had. And I would say the same thing, but it's also mm-hmm. the book that I wish that I had had as a parent, whether my mm-hmm. children were too young to sit and read the book with me so that I could get my own story straight to at least have the conversations. Yeah, that's good. Hmm. In the book, uh, you guys define a disciple as somebody that's a theologian learning to be a Christian theologian, a person with words about God, learning to have true words about God, and then to live in light of them. Now, in JT's story, that took a big leap for him during seminary. And in Jen's story, you started by reading systematic theologies. But you also say in the first chapter that one of the greatest misconceptions about theology is that it's something learned in a classroom or through reading a book, even though that was part of both your stories, that Christians, you say, do not merely learn theology, they do theology. So JT, I was wondering if you can help us understand, how do we do theology in the way we're raising kids? So you guys kind of have these stories of like, mine was seminary, mine was books, but you're also saying, hey guys, that's not the only way that we do this. Obviously books are good, seminary is good. I want to talk about the church here in a second as well, but what about just in the household? How are parents doing theology with their kids? Yeah, this is one of those texts where I got from Jen. Jen actually texted both Kyle and me, and she like, is this verbal? Like, is this is this accurate to <laughs> say this Grammatically accurate. I, don't, I still don't like so. it, but I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. on board now. I like we that have, you, have, I assume you put the caveat in there, Jen, that says, while Jen does not like <laughs> yeah, this statement, yes, yeah, exactly. which yeah. is what the book reads now, which is so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so last night I'm putting my little girl Bailey to bed, and I forget the exact question she asked, but she has like this little, her, her sheets are like princess sheets, and it's like a little pink, you know, quilt cover and she's getting all tucked in and I'm praying for her and getting her water. And I lay down and I forget exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines of like, who provides, who provides things for us? Like she was, uh, who, who gives us things? And I said, well, who do you think gave you these covers? And I think she's going to save me because I bought them. Right. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, who, who made this? And she goes, God, God made this. God made everything. Uh, oh. Because that's, that's a truth that our, our church teaches is one of our foundational truths. And so it's even, I I just want to encourage parents. It's even in those small moments, this isn't, uh, theology is not relegated to sermons or to Bible Mm -hmm. studies or to home groups or to youth group. It really is every single moment. If you're, if you're teaching your kids about money, this isn't just about finances and economics. It's about this belongs to God. We want to be good stewards of this, or you're, you're on a walk with your kids or going to the zoo and you see a dog or an animal who made, who made our dog or, uh, so I, I just think, 
parents, I would encourage you to not capture every moment. We're not asking parents to be weird and like, hey, kids, we're doing theology now. We're at the zoo. It's not that. It's just <laughs> providing them Christian categories for all of life, whether they're standing yeah. by the graveside of a great grandfather or uh, they're thinking about how they treat their body with food they intake or whatever it is, is we're, we're wanting to encourage them. We, theology is all about truth. We want our kids to be based in truth, to be grounded in what's real, who God is, who they are, why the world's broken, how God's making things right through Christ and through the Spirit. And so uh, we can't ever not be doing that. Even like coming home from a baseball game, I'll tell you just one one more last quick story for me that I just blew it as a parent. I'm like, I have like committed myself to not be the sports parent because I'm a pretty competitive person. I'm like, that's not going to be me. (laughs) And Thomas, Thomas, I was Thomas's soccer coach and he had like this terrible game. And I had this moment of him getting in the car and I was expressing disappointment and frustration that my eight-year-old isn't on the Olympic soccer team yet. You know, you know, those moments <laughs> parents where you're like, why, yeah. why do I care so much about this? And I had 30 seconds of, of just kind of like, why didn't you run faster? And why, why'd you kick that ball out of bounds? And here's doing theology. It was me realizing JT, you're being an idiot. I turn around and say, Thomas, I'm so sorry. That's yeah. not, that's not what I actually believe can you forgive me? That's not what dad believes about you. Mm -hmm. That was sin. You're my son and I'm proud of you. I love doing that. Like that is doing theology. It's just living the Christian life as best you can with your kids. That's so good. Hmm. Now, I know both of you guys are passionate about how people develop their theology. That's why you guys wrote the book and you guys are also huge advocates for the church. A lot of our listeners aren't just parents, they're church workers who work a lot with families. I would Mm -hmm. love it. Maybe Jen, could you cast vision for, if you're writing this book to, you know, a reader, but how would you love this to see, how would you love us to see um, churches developing theologians in a local church setting? What would that look like in a perfect world? Well, first of all, it doesn't take a perfect world because JT and I have gotten to do this in an imperfect world for some time and seen the the great benefit of it. Um, And we've seen when you start to have these conversations, um, in the local church setting, how it rolls out from the space where the conversations are happening into all of the other ministry areas in your church. Um, It means you think differently about the order in which you teach concepts to children in children's ministry. It means that you think differently about the way that you talk about identity questions when you're talking to middle schoolers. Um, Mm -hmm. It means that you think differently about the songs that you're going to sing in your your service. It means you think differently about the nature of the gathering Um, It's not a place for me to have an individual moment with the Lord, although I might, but the whole purpose of it is to remind me of something bigger than myself that I'm saved into the church. And so when we start to think in those categories, it's going to shape the way that we do church, not just the way that we live our everyday lives. Um, And the way that we do church matters a lot. Um, And so I would say that the reason we wrote the book the way that we did with discussion questions at the end is because we know the value of just gathering a group of people and having these discussions with each other. Um, This book is going to be a conversation starter, but it's not going to be a conversation finisher. It's a jumping off point. And, um, you know, we we can point you to additional resources to extend the conversation, which you will need. At some point, you're probably going to need the 300-page textbook uh, or or access to those ideas through, you know, like the the cassette tape ministry of R.C. Sproul. Uh, But whatever it is... um, this is, you have to start the conversation somewhere. And and really the, the best place to start it is in the community of believers in which you're a part. Um, it can happen in, a, in just a random book club group, but ideally these ideas are going to inform the way that the, the people of God come together and know how to relate to God and to one another. 
Awesome. Love that. Um, so y'all's book covers a list of Christian doctrines like the Trinity, Scripture, sin, Christ, the church. Um, how do you guys think that a list of doctrines in this in this book might be a blessing to moms and dads as they disciple their kids? I mean, doctrine ultimately is trying to answer life's biggest questions. And so these aren't mm-hmm. categories that we said, you know what we think would be really helpful? These are the questions that everybody asks. So, for example, when you think about the doctrine of the Trinity, we're talking about who is God? Is there a more fundamental question than understanding who God is? Or right. another question, who are we? That's the doctrine mm-hmm. of humanity. What does it mean to be an embodied image bearer meant to reign and represent uh, God and, on his behalf? Or what went wrong in the world? Like every world view has to answer that question. For Christians, that's the doctrine of sin. Or how is God making things right? That's the doctrine of atonement and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so it's not just for us a list of doctrines. It's a list of life's most important questions, who God is, what he's like, who are we, and what went wrong in the world. And so whether parents, whether you know this or not, your kids are going to grapple with these questions, whether they do it earlier in life or later in life, or they show up. For me, I showed up to my first philosophy class at CSU and kind of began having, oh my gosh, who are all these questions? And so this is really uh, a meant to kind of be a grounding, not in terms of like apologetics of like how old's the earth or, or secondary and third tier things, but really life's most fundamental questions. The fav- my favorite chapter in the book, I thought it was going to be my least favorite, is the last Where's everything mm-hmm. going? Christians mm-hmm. disagree mm-hmm. so much about uh, what we would call eschatology or end times, but we agree about the most important thing that God is providentially mm-hmm. moving all of human history towards the kingdom of Jesus Christ being reestablished on this world where there's no more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness. And what a what a good thing for us to ground our families and our churches in, again, these just basic questions that everybody has to answer at some point. Jen, do any of the doctrinal chapters... Uh, stick out to you as being particularly helpful for an average mom or dad? I think I would say that the doctrine of the church is the one that comes to mind for me Mm -hmm. um, because in that chapter in particular, we tried to give metaphors that would help the average learner, and that's not a pejorative term at all, that we, you know, it's just the average learner is me, um, would help the average learner to understand the why of the church. Um, And so, you know, the church is a family, the church is a bride, the church is a building, the church is a stranger, these kind of ideas that even a very small child could understand to some extent to give them a sense that they're they're a part of something much bigger and older than themselves. I do think that the parents who are raising small children right now are raising them into a, uh, a world that will be post-Christian. And so if these children are going to stay in the church, and I believe that that's very um, possible for, for any of the parents who are listening, um, they're going to need to understand Um, the things that have united us throughout the centuries. It will not be a question for your children of how they feel about the worship style. It will be a question for your children of whether the God that is preached is the God of the Bible, uh, of Mm -hmm. whether the the way that humans are viewed is the way that uh, God views humans. And so um, I just can't think of a greater gift you can give to your children than a historic Christian faith. Um, We know that children grow up and they either accept or reject the faith of their parents, um, but give them a historic faith Mm -hmm. to evaluate as they do that. Um, don't, Don't try to give them just, you know, some small view of the church. And so that's, I think that's probably why that chapter stands out. Mm. 
I love that you guys wrote this book. I'm grateful you guys did it yeah. together. It's another example of a brother and sister working together in theology as well, which I know Knowing Faith has done so well. We try to replicate that on the Family Discipleship mm-hmm. Podcast. Brothers yeah. and sisters doing these things together. It's a great picture as well for homes, for churches. I see your book as a great thing for any parent to kind of shape their theology, any reader to do that, but also for a parent with some older kids, maybe to read this with their kids as they're mm-hmm. talking through discipleship, going through those discussion questions with their high school, college age kid or a kid who just came to know the Lord who wants to go like, hey, mom, dad, can you help me just think through what are the basics or or thinking through with their student minister? How do I think about the church? I love it. Now, before we let you go and before we send everybody to Amazon to buy one of the new 25 copies that my new AI has put up online (laughs) of your your book uh, to find the genuine, honestly, find the genuine you are a theologian online or wherever you buy books. But before we let you go, uh, what are some ways that our listeners can be praying for the English family and for the Wilkin family? Mm, thanks. I mean, we're entering kind of back into, like I said, we've got little kiddos. So here, I'm not sure in this is recording, but we're entering back into that season of rhythms of school. Uh, Thomas is on his first flag football team and playing soccer and Bailey's doing uh, dance. And so we're just kind of entering back into rhythms. And so we're always trying to guard against kind of the rhythms of the world, impressing themselves on the rhythms of our family and making sure that we're able to dictate the most important things. And that's always a challenge. We do it imperfectly every Sunday night. It feels like we have a come to Jesus meeting of like, okay, let's not do that again. How do we have a better week? <laughs> and so just pr- we're, we're, we're in that busy season right now. We love it. We don't, we, we want to pour ourselves out, but we're in one of those seasons of just kind of move into the next thing. So just pray for true rest, not just that we would have a day off, but that we'd rest in the Lord, that we'd enjoy him. And that we we're in that season right now where I just want my mind to like take snapshots of my kids in the morning and mm. at dinner. Like we're just, mm-hmm. we're in such a sweet season. I don't want to miss it. So we're, we're trying to find rhythms to help us do that. Yeah. I don't know if my young parents want to hear this, but I did picture my stage of life being one that was a little less intense from a family standpoint. And, um, oh. Actually, it's good news that it's not. Um, I mm. I am so dialed in with caring for aging parents and then helping mm. my own kids be young parents mm. uh, and, and my young adult kids um, with all of the things that are a part of um, that stage of life. Jeff and I are always talking to each other about how we were so dumb to think that parenting was the work of 18 years. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, shoot, this is like our whole lives. You know, we're going to be invested in these people's lives. But also, I think just the just feeling the great um, responsibility, the the debt of gratitude toward my parents and Jeff's parents, and wanting to make sure mm. that we're not um, so busy um, taking advantage of the the freedom of an empty nest that we forget to to, um, to pay that debt that we owe of honor to um, his parents and to my parents. So. Um, that's taking up a lot of our time and we're thrilled about it. So uh, Mm. just, but we, you know, we like, just like in the earlier stages of life, we too need prayer that we would keep our focus where it needs to be. Well, I'm grateful for you too. I'm grateful for your uh, counterpart, Kyle, as well. I'm grateful for all the work you guys do at training the church and inviting us to be a part of it. And I'm really grateful for this new book. I hope our listeners do go out, check it out and share it with one of your friends. Uh, This is a great resource. Thanks. We love working with you guys. Our partnership is one of our favorite things uh, at Training the Church. So thanks for the great work you guys do. I've said this to you before when I've been here, but I'll say it again. Almost every time I host a new here class at Storyline and we're talking about parenting stuff, somebody says, have you heard of this great great podcast mm-hmm. called the Family Discipleship <laughs> Podcast? Yeah. Yeah. And they have no idea that we're involved or engaged, but you guys are producing such a helpful resource for the church uh, in my church. And we're, we're just so thrilled for your ongoing ministry. Yeah, thanks, absolutely. JT. Thank you, Jen. 
Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we're looking forward to the rest of Season 5. We'll see you next week. 